Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Reliance Podcast. Join us Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock, 9.30 or 11. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. camping out in First John. We've been, uh, just a quick recap of our last few weeks, we've been camping out in, in uh, all up to date here, um, if you've missed any time. So really, it boils down to this. Uh, Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. It, it says in, in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh, and he, and he dwelt among us. I love the message translation. It's, it's one that I read a number of years ago. It said, the word became flesh, and he moved into our neighborhood. Like, he chose to be your neighbor. Let's, let's say that's some grace right there, right? Because for some of us, we may not make the best of neighbors. And so Jesus said, nope, I'm going to move into your neighborhood. And so the word became flesh, and he moved into our neighborhoods. In him is life, and his life is the light of all mankind. That's what John chapter 1 says as well. And so really the gospel message can be summed up in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's his teachings, his character, his life. His ways, his authority, his presence, his blood, his sacrifice, his resurrection, you get the point. It's Jesus. That's the gospel message. Now, we could, we could say, okay, we're done. We're good. That's, that's the message for today. But I believe that Jesus has some, some specifics this morning that he wants us to hear. And so, um, I do want to pray. I know, I know Aaron prayed, but, but I really feel the Holy Spirit wants to impart some things this morning. And so I want to pray that any words of mine would be seasoned with grace, with salt, with truth, um, and that Jesus would be glorified. So pray with me. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, we are in desperate need of you. We want to go no further unless you lead us into that place. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that, as Jesus said, you would guide us into all truth. Guide us into all truth this morning as we open the word, as we receive the word, hear the word. May it, may it be received on soil ready to be planted, watered, and harvested at some point down the road, whether it be tomorrow, the next day, today, or 30 years from now. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you're with us. We need your guidance. We need your leadership. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So Jesus is the gospel. He's the very reason we gather on Sunday mornings. Now, some of you may have been nudged by your wife or somebody else and say, maybe we should go to, maybe we should go to church. It's Christmas time, Right? So it's natural. And so whatever the reason that you got here, ultimately, we gather and we have these times to celebrate because of Jesus. We get to hear little kids sing because of Jesus. He's the reason and the prize of every ounce of energy, time, and sacrifice spent in discipleship. He's always worth it. And, and, the, and the reality is that all of hell is waging war against the truth that Jesus is the gospel. There is a full-out assault against the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus. There is. And I probably don't have to convince you of that. You don't have to look too far to realize that doesn't seem like the kingdom of God. Like, that doesn't seem like that's unto Christ, right? You don't have to look too far. Maybe it's in your own life. I can confess. There's times in my life where I'm like, wow, that was not the gospel being displayed in my own life. Of course, we don't have to look too far to see it elsewhere. There is an assault on the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus. And unfortunately, many in our culture and even in our churches have bought into the lies of the enemy. And here's how those lies manifest themselves many times. And, and maybe you can think of your own, start with your own heart and say, Lord, does, is this manifested in my own life at times? And of course, we can see it manifested in other places as well. But here's how it manifests. Instead of desiring to look more like the gospel, that is Jesus, we attempt to make the gospel look more like us. 
St. Augustine, he's a well-known and respected church father. He lived nearly 1,600 years ago, sometime in the 400s. And he said this, which is still just as true today. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. The American Gospel has morphed into this me-centric comfort Gospel. It's all about me, it's about the way it makes me feel, and so we've pieced out the Word of God and kind of cut it up just the way we like it to make it fit our preferences. We've watered down the truth to make it palatable for us and our lifestyles and our preferences, and I'm not trying to preach at you, I'm actually preaching to myself. I feel like every time I get a chance to preach the word of God, the Lord just in his kindness corrects my own heart. And so I start with my own heart as I'm preaching to you as well. But ultimately, we've, we've become the gospel of Burger King. Have it your way. Jesus, have him your way. Lord, forgive us. Hear our cry of repentance. There is a place of repentance that is so beautiful in the church. I pray, this is not the message for this morning, but the church needs to get back to a place of repenting. Even if it's just so subtly to say, Lord, I have lost sight of you. Even if it's just one degree that I'm off, Jesus, correct your son in kindness. Correct us in your kindness. It says, the scriptures tell us that his kindness leads us to repentance. This is why when we say things like, we need to get back to the gospel, or we need to get back to the simple gospel. What we're saying is fairly simple. We need to get back to Jesus because in some way, somehow, we've gotten off. Would, would you contest that in some way, we've gotten off as the bride of Christ? I mean, that can be true of decades or it can be true of even a moment. We need to get back to the simple gospel of Jesus. And if you hear anything else from this stage other than Jesus first or any other gospel preached that is not Christ, feel free to rebuke me because I want the Lord's correction. This is a time in my life. You know, when I, when I was growing up, like correction was always seen as, as, as just punishment a lot of times. Now, my parents didn't mean that. And in many ways, they, they, they did right in, in discipline. But I, I received it not as a son, but as a slave. And so a lot of times in, in, in that, I received it as, oh, I'm being punished. When I didn't see it as actually love and correction. The Lord wants to, as sons and daughters of the Father, he wants to bring us back into right relationship with him. And so feel free to, to rebuke me, or if you hear anything this stage, I pray that you can spot it from a mile away if it is counterfeit to the real gospel. Any other gospel is actually an antichrist message wrapped up in deception. And I would say that any of us would, would be the first to say, I don't want to fall for an antichrist message. Anything that is not Christ is an antichrist message. That sounds really like sobering, but it's sobering. It is a sobering message. This is what Paul warns the Galatian church. It's still a warning for us today. In Galatians 1, uh, verses 6 through 10 says this. I'm going to pick up actually in, in verse 7. It says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Whew. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I now say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than, what we, other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Those are some pretty sobering words. I take that for what it is. It's a sobering message. 
And not just but a few decades after the original Gospels were written, uh, there, were, there were other counterfeit Gospels that began to circulate among the churches and among the cities. And so the enemy was trying to weave in this counterfeit narrative not long after the Word became flesh, ever so subtly. Church, we should not be surprised, and in fact, we must be aware. We must be aware that one of the enemy's greatest weapons is deception. The devil is actually called the father of all lies. Jesus spoke these very words in John chapter 8. And deception is a crazy, crazy tactic of the enemy. It's a dangerous one because those who are being deceived don't generally know they're being deceived. That's why it's called deception. It's a dangerous, dangerous tactic. The enemy we face, he takes the real and he makes a counterfeit. And it looks, looks really good. It's like, huh, which one of these is real? And, and it looks good at face value. Or the enemy takes a portion of the real and he, and he waters it down to nearly nothing. And there are countless counterfeit gospels. And I won't go into all these, but I want to I share one example of a counterfeit gospel. It's one that I think our generation, the, the modern American, the modern American church as well, can, can struggle with. We write more books, blogs, songs, and talk about personal identity now more than any other generation before us. This generation should know abundantly more about who they really are, right? I mean, with all those blogs and all those books and all those speakers, and I'm not against those things, but I'm just saying, in all those, we should know abundantly more who we really are. And so if this me-centric identity gospel were really good news, the evidence should be that we see more hope-filled, joy-filled people walking around. But what do we actually see in this generation? We see loneliness, depression, suicidal thoughts, mental health issues at just all-time highs. Why? Because this me-centric gospel is no gospel at all. It's counterfeit. It sounds really captivating. Like, and some of you probably see these slogans all over the internet, and they're, they're probably maybe in classrooms that you see. But here, here are the slogans that some of this counterfeit gospel likes to portray. You are more than enough. The power is in you. Love yourself first and do what's in your heart. These are counterfeit to the gospel. Let, let me, can I share with you the real for a moment? I am bankrupt without Jesus. I am not enough. Jesus in me, Jesus alone is enough. We are powerless to save anyone. The power is not within me. It's within Christ and his blood, and his atonement at the loan. And he's given me the power to live a godly life, as First Peter says, or Second Peter, excuse me, says. The Bible says, love God first. We've, we've actually gotten that backwards. Like we have a generation saying, oh, just love everyone. But we forgot that the first commandment is to love God first. And then you'll love everyone un under the banner and under the authority of Christ. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. I don't trust my own heart. Yeah. I don't. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, trust in him with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And who will make your path straight? He will make your path straight. So you hear the real from the counterfeit? The counterfeit sounds really alluring. It really does. But it's counterfeit. God does speak to your identity in his word, but it's always under the authority, the design, and the reign and rule of Christ. That is where your identity is seated. Now, 
Why have I chosen to go, go down this track on a Sunday morning right before Christmas? Why not the manger scene, you know? Why not some angels harking of the Lord's coming, right? Seems kind of direct, maybe a little harsh on a Sunday before Christmas. Well, the reality is I don't think the church lacks a basic understanding of the Christmas story. I do, however, think the modern Western church as a whole lacks an understanding of the centrality and importance of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. His entire life should shape ours, period. I believe the church needs to grow in spiritual discernment in these last days to discern in the spirit the real from the counterfeit. You will and you have already been bombarded with the counterfeit. We need to discern in the spirit what is real from the counterfeit. Aaron's mentioned this before. The, the, the way in which you discern the real or the counterfeit is by getting intimately acquainted with the real, right? You don't have to study every counterfeit. You just set your gaze on the real, and then you'll be like, that's a counterfeit, that's a counterfeit, that's a counterfeit, because you've locked gaze with the real, Jesus. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's get back to John 1. Let's get back to the real deal here. John chapter 1 and I'd like to read a, a few of these verses and then share a couple thoughts. So uh, John chapter 1, we're going to go 1 through 5, and then we'll, we'll jump down to 11. Could you stand with me? This is just something my dad had us do. He was a pastor, and it's just always honoring, I think, to the Lord. And plus, it gets the blood circulating, so, you know, it's good too. So John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise Jesus. Skipping down to verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, thank you, Lord, for that word, yet. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. John, meaning John the Baptist, testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John got it. Out of his fullness we have received, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and go, be seated. Man, thank you for your word, Jesus. So I want to highlight, I want to share a couple thoughts from verses 14 through 18. So Aaron um, did a little bit digging in the first couple, uh, first couple verses, first portion of that, um, and he spoke about the word becoming flesh, which is awesome. If you were there, you, you heard kind of that Genesis through Revelation, um, just that, that Jesus is in it all. Again, Jesus is the gospel, so it makes sense that he's in it all. Um, then he also broke out that, that in him is life, and that, is, that life is the light of men. But I want to highlight a couple things that pop out from these verses 14 through 18. There's two key words that are repeated several times. You know what those were? Did you catch them? Grace and truth. Repeated several times just within a few, a few verses. And, and verse 14, in fact, it's explicit in saying that the Son, Jesus, is full of grace and truth. So what's the big deal here? Grace and truth. We, we use these words, these biblical words in sermons, 
You probably hear them every Sunday. We sing songs with them in it. Uh, we pray prayers with these words. And, and so why is it a big deal? The big deal is this. Christ himself encompasses the full measure of both grace and truth. So let me explain. Let me break this down a little. Counterfeit gospels take an element of one of these words and create a following. Counterfeit gospels abuse one while neglecting the other. Let me pack this a minute. So I had a friend in high school who was a believer. And uh, yet in his college years, he, be he began to settle for a counterfeit gospel. And I couldn't articulate it at the time. But, but again, it, it, you could see the difference. In high school, this, this brother was really going hard after the things of the Lord. He cared about holiness. Why? Because he took the word of God at face value that says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Like, he took that at face value and said, I care about holiness because he cares about holiness. Yet in college, just a few years later, he began, uh, his language began to change and his, his choices began to reflect a pattern of living that settled for things that were less than God's holiness. And so during this time, he would say things like, God doesn't care about my language because he knows my heart. And he would even take scripture and misapply it to his way of living. He would say, it's for, by grace that I've been saved, not by works. Now, that's, that's a true scripture, but misapplied. Because what he was implying was that his works didn't matter because it was grace alone. And so my friend had bought into the counterfeit gospel of greasy grace. That's, that's what my dad used to call it. It's, it's, it's grace without truth. It's greasy grace. Slippery slope. Now, on the other hand, we have that. We have greasy grace. And on the other hand, those who want to preach truth but neglect grace become religious Pharisees. As Jesus warned the people in Matthew chapter 23, he said this. He said, they, meaning the Pharisees, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Think of the woman. There's a woman in, in John chapter 8. She's caught in adultery. And so in this story, um, the Pharisees bring this woman before Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to teach in the synagogues, uh, the synagogue there. And they, they bring this woman caught in the act to Jesus. And they say these words. They say, the law of Moses commands that we stone this woman. What do you say? And the next verse in that chapter, John chapter 8, tells us actually that they had another motive their motive was that they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted him to say something and then be like, oh, see, we got you. And so really, it was a perfect setup. I mean, it was crazy. They, they were doing some of their, their homework. The Pharisees were doing their homework. They wanted to trap Jesus, and this was, seemed to be the perfect setup because Jesus had been associating with sinners. They knew that. But now a woman caught in the act of sinning, how would Jesus respond would Jesus go against the law of Moses, which stated that punishment would be death, would be stoning? Would he bypass the law of Moses and offer scandalous grace? <gasps> or would he condemn her to death, just like the Pharisees, and almost forfeit his entire life, teachings, and ministry up until this point? What would Jesus do to satisfy both truth and grace? Good setup. But Jesus... Here was his response. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Guess what happened? They all began to drop their rocks and they began to walk away. I love how the scripture says the, the, the oldest ones walked first, then the youngest ones like, oh, I don't want to. Okay, yep, I'm a sinner too. Like, he knew what was in man's heart. And so Jesus, I love his response to her. Jesus looks at this woman and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And you can just imagine like with tears in her eyes that she replied, no one, sir. And Jesus' response was, then I declare, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, the Pharisees had used truth to condemn. The gospel of Jesus is that truth restores and calls up higher. Truth without grace is condemnation. Grace without truth is compromise. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Grace. But now, go and leave your life of sin. Truth. Truth detests sin. Hallelujah. Grace loves sinners. Hallelujah. In Jesus, we find the measure of both. In Christ alone. There is a way, it's the way of Christ, it's the gospel message in which you and I can walk in both grace and truth. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's not tension in this, right? As we walk this thing out daily. But guess what? We got the third person of the triune God living inside of us. We have the promised gift of the Holy Spirit empowering us to walk in the ways of the Lord. Not as obligated slaves, but as obedient children, loving to bless the heart of our Father. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus through the power of the Spirit challenges us not to settle for anything less than his ways, his standards, and his thought. And at the very same time, he gives us the grace to accomplish this. For the longest time, when I was, when I was growing up, probably in high school and then into college, like, I wanted to be a person of truth, right? Like, I wanted to live a life full of God's truth. And yet, at the same time, I was so religious, now, thankful for God's grace that he still was wooing me and he still woos me every day of my life. But praise Jesus that his grace is what gives me the power to accomplish his will and his ways, his desires, his truth, his heart, his standards, his character. Man, praise Jesus. Look at verse seven, uh, 16 and 17 in John chapter 1. It says this, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What's that mean? And then 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace in place of grace already given. So the Old Testament had the law, and that law was a shadow of grace because it at least pointed in a right direction that man could actually serve God. But in a grace upon grace already given in Christ, that fullness of grace, grace in its, full, in its fullness was revealed. And now... And now we can walk in the ways of God according to his statutes, holy and true, and have the grace to do so in Christ. Man, that's good news. Church, we must find our foundation once again in the life, death, death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel. We must find our very being in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We must find our voice again in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Am I making any sense? It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus alone. If this is something you're like, I don't know much about that, get real acquainted with it. You've been given the word of God. It's precious. 
There are believers in other countries. I'm, this, is, this is not trying to, to shame us, but I pray it does a little that do not have access to this. And yet I have 10 sitting in my basement. Get acquainted with the gospel message of Jesus. He's written. The author is all up in this business right here. And he wants to get to know you. This isn't about just trying to know a story. It's about getting to know the author. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we must find our voice again. Lord, help the church find our voice again. The church has a mandate. When Jesus said, go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, do you think he was serious? Yes, he was. It's a mandate. It's a charge. And we have the grace to do so. The church in Christ has the greatest life-giving, hope-restoring, joy-filled message ever. And yet here is where we need a real spiritual kick in the pants. By the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I pray. In many of the counterfeit antichrist gospels, the church has either chosen to remain silent or has chosen to get involved, yet has not spiritually discerned the battle. Let me, give you, let me give you an example. The church actually has something to say about the LGBTQ conversation. The church actually has something to say regarding race issues, abortion, sexual exploitation, and so on. Why? Because the word of God has something to say about these, these issues and these subjects. The Bible should inform and dictate our understanding of these issues. Plain and simple, your opinions, my opinions... Do not dictate truth. We get to share the truth of God's word under the covenant of grace, under the blood and the atonement of Jesus, found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul encouraged uh, the church in Colossae, in Colossians 4, he said this. I love this. This is great. Walk in the wisdom of God as you live before unbelievers and make it your duty to make him known. Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. For then you will be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks about your faith. For then you will be prepared. Does it say when you're ready theologically and you have everything ironed out in your faith, then you'll be ready? No, it says let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. Then you will be. I love the language of the Bible. There's a verse that says God has lavished his love upon us, that we should be called children. How great the love the Father has lavished. It's like you know, waves that keep coming at you. You're like, I, I, okay, I just I got to give up. Like I'm drowning in the lavish love of God. Yeah. And here we find this, this language that says drenched in grace. It's like it's oozing off of me. And yet what does the church usually known for? The opposite. I mean, a lot of, we're known for the hand and the face. God, help us. Mercy, Jesus. We repent in the name of Jesus. Drenched in grace and tempered with truth and clarity. This is the message of Jesus. Now, maybe we've pulled back from the conversation, these conversations that we should be engaging in. Because we fear the rebuke of man. For many years, I feared the rebuke of man. So therefore, I always went for the applause of man. To appease man. And so usually when, and this was even in my early ministry, I would almost give a watered down gospel as if the Lord, Lord, you just know where they're at. I just want to kind of ease it into, you know? And the Lord's like, no, no, Ryan, there is a place of grace and truth. You can walk in both. 
So maybe we've pulled back because we fear the rebuke of man. Maybe we've pulled back because we don't feel like we have the confidence to speak God's heart. That's a lie, by the way. And maybe we've pulled back because we just simply don't want to engage in it. We'd rather click on the TV, unplug. And don't get me wrong. I want you to go have rest and I want you to go. Yeah. But hear my heart and to say we need to engage in these conversations because whatever the excuse, they're like armpits. We all have them. They all stink, right? Whatever the excuse, <laughs> we have the good news that sets the captives free. I was just thinking the Lord... Oh, and his kindness this week, it was so good. Harsh, good. What kind of people hold the most priceless treasure that never depletes, no matter how many times you give it away, yet choose not to share it? What kind of people hold the most priceless treasure, never depletes, any time you give it away, and yet would not choose to share it? Lord, forgive me. Give the church her voice once again, Jesus. And by your grace, help us spiritually discern the real issues behind the issues. We absolutely need grace and truth to discern the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit. There are days when that flesh rises up within me, and I can certainly tell that that is the flesh speaking again. And there are days when I'm like, thank you, Lord, because spirit begets spirit. And so I, I see it. I see the things of the Lord just moving and shaping and as, I'm, as I'm surrendering to the Lord. It's a battle. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. That's what the scripture says. So that they're constant war and tension with one another. Lord, give us grace and truth to discern the things of the flesh and things of the spirit. For example, we may, we may find our voice again, praise Jesus, but we may unwisely fight the wrong battle. Church, Let's not get sucked down to CNN, Fox News, TikTok, social media, rabbit holes of us versus them. Let's not be social media stone throwers who use truth to condemn instead of restore the world back unto Jesus. We've been called ambassadors of reconciliation, not ambassadors of judgment. Sorry if any of that stings. I pray it's under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that is because I have to personally repent. I can be drawn down those unfruitful, death-speaking, offense-generating rabbit holes. I really can. I know I'm prone to it. I know I can get in conversations, and it, and it may start okay, and then it's just like oh, criticism upon criticism upon criticism until I'm pointing a finger at the ones that Jesus loves, and I'm saying they are not worthy of it. I repent. Our battle is not against people. The church versus LGBTQ, the church versus woke politicians, the church versus you fill in the blank. It's not. Paul says this in Ephesians 6.12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If our view is to use truth to condemn, we're engaging the battle in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Because there is a spiritual strongman, there is a spiritual root at the heart of those being deceived. So you want to wage war as a believer? You've probably heard those songs, marching on, right? You know, like, we're marching on to war. March on to war, but march on your knees in the place of prayer and intercession. That the spiritual strongman controlling and dictating that person or those people would be broken in the mighty name of Jesus. Wage war by loving your unbelieving neighbor. And when given the moment to speak, speak truth with grace and clarity, tempered 
with grace and clarity, drenched in grace. Wage war by loving God first. You want to tick the enemy off? Wage war by loving God first and most with zeal, ferocity, passion, being relentless. That's how you bind the strong man. That's how you break the cycle and the stronghold of deception. So praise Jesus that he is both perfect in grace and truth. As we press into him, his heart, his ways, his teachings, his ministry, his blood, his atonement, his character, the gospel, we can and will find ourselves walking more and more in the ways of grace and truth. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm one that generally walks in truth, but not so much grace. I'm, I'm generally one that walks in grace, but not much truth. You can walk in both because you have the spirit of the living God in you. Will we be perfect in it? No way. But praise Jesus, his truth calls us up higher every time, and his grace covers us for the next time. <laughs> it's, like this, it's like this waterfall. It's like a cascading waterfall. It's just cyclical. Like the, every time I want to walk in truth, man, the Lord's like, I'm blessed. And every time I screw up, his grace covers me. I cry out to him. He's like, I'm blessed. Praise Jesus for that. That's the beauty. You can trust the Holy Spirit to lead you in both. And we don't have to sell out one for the other. They go hand in hand, and we can walk in greater authority in both. Trust me, over the next two weeks, you will have many opportunities to walk in both as you gather together with family, right? If our Christmas gatherings give us any opportunity, it's to be stretched by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I'm, I'm sitting in here with one, with one of these family members. I just, bless you. Bless you. Pray for me. Bless you. <laughs> okay. So let me, let, me, let me wrap this up and land this plane. Here's, here's the challenge. I, I want to give you a couple challenges. Just, we want to sit before the Lord for a few minutes. I wish we had more time to sit before the Lord. Um, but here's a couple. And if you have a third one that the, the Holy Spirit's imparting to you right now, go with that one. Don't worry about these other two. <laughs> go with what the Holy Spirit's doing. But maybe just to, just to, to generate some of that stirring and, and, and just conversation with the Holy Spirit. Here's a challenge. One. Ask Holy Spirit to search your heart and to reveal any areas where you may have been deceived into believing a counterfeit gospel, even if it's just so subtle. Have you bought into any lie that says Jesus, the gospel, is not enough? Or Jesus plus something else is the formula? Have you bought into the me-centric comfort counterfeit gospel? In any way, let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. Repent and ask for renewed grace to transform your mind and your heart. Two, ask the Holy Spirit to move your heart, to stir your heart in both grace and truth. He's full of it. Ask him to give you boldness and confidence, yet a humility and meekness that will demonstrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And ultimately, wherever you go down this, I pray, I pray together as a corporate church, I pray together individually, that we will commit ourselves once again to the ways of the Lord, the truth of God's word, not to be pieced out, to be morseled out, just take it for what it is, who he is, and commit yourself to walking in the ways of the Lord under the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. My heart, my prayer for this morning, even as I was writing this, I was like, Lord, that, that seems like such a direct message, you know? Like, I feel like every time the Lord you know, I'm granted the opportunity to, to share. It's, it's a fairly direct message. But I, I felt like the Lord a couple years ago was Ryan. He was telling me, Ryan, you're to tear down the high places. In the Old Testament, 
the Israelites would go and they'd run to these places called the high places, places that were set up to other idols and other, other counterfeit gods. And so my, my heart is not that it would be a, a pointing finger because by the grace of God, we can do this. It, it's kind of like just, you know, well, I just pray the Lord will impart what he wants to impart to you. The Holy Spirit will in his kindness woo you back in to the foundation that, that Jesus alone is the gospel. So let's pray and then and take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you, we thank you. Thank you for calling us up higher. Thank you that your truth sets us free, actually. It's your truth that calls us up higher. It restores us and your grace empowers us. It's by grace we've been saved. It's not by works. Lord, we thank you for calling us up higher. We, your bride, want to honor you. We, your bride, want to serve you wholeheartedly. Jesus, if there's any offensive way within me, even just ever so subtly, in your grace, reveal it to me. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're gentle and yet you're, you're ferocious at the same time. And whatever way you need to speak to me, speak to me, speak to my heart see if there's anything that is not of you. Yeah, just take a moment, sit with the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit these questions. If you need to be reminded, they're up on the screen. Just sit in this place with the Lord. He wants to honor the heart cry. Grace already given. Where the law simply revealed that we could never measure up. Your life, your ministry, your death, your resurrection reveals so much more to us that in Christ, we have the fullness of joy in Christ. In Christ, in Christ alone. So Jesus, I pray that we continue to wrestle with this. I pray that we continue to come to your feet over and over and over again, however many time it takes. We would not be shy from one who would come on bended knee before you and say, Lord, reveal any offensive way within me, just as David cried. And in your kindness, oh, what beauty awaits. In your kindness, what restoration and reconciliation awaits us. So, Lord, I pray that we would come over and over and over again before your throne of grace. We thank you that in Christ is fullness of grace and truth. Help us to be people who walk this out in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families. Give us, the, over these next couple weeks, opportunities to be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. Lord, I pray for our family members that don't know you, that they would see the gospel written all over our lives. The gospel would be embedded in our speech and the way that we think and love and serve one another. Lord, I pray for friends that we'll be gathering with. Lord, that we might be the gospel that they only ever see. And may it represent you, the real, true, living gospel. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. Be glorified in us the remainder of this day. We pray, we pray, bless you, Jesus. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless. We will see you on Christmas Eve. Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about who we are, find us on the Church Center app. See you all next week.